the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, this morning, I hope you brought your Bibles with you. And if you did, you might like to open them up to the book of John. If you will, turn to John chapter 1. And we are in a two-part series, but we're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can open up your worship folder, and there's the verses right there for you. There's also a Bible in the uh, seat under you. If you want to reach under there, you might find one in the rack there. Or just make a new friend and scoot next to them. But the best thing to do is get yourself a Bible and bring it so you can mark it up and follow along and have a real tool that you can use as you grow in the Lord. Well, today, I want you to know that I'm talking about the topic of come and follow in the idea is Jesus Christ is calling and he says, come, believe in me and then follow me. And we're looking at a great passage of scripture. But as I look over a group this size and also knowing that many are listening on the radio, I'm always intrigued to find out what day of the week someone came to know the Lord on and maybe where they were when they trusted Christ. Well, we don't have a lot of time for that, but let's just raise our hands for a moment. How many of you came to know Christ as your savior on a Monday? Would you raise your hand? How many on a Monday? All right. How many on a Tuesday? Raise your hand. How many can remember on a Tuesday. How many on a Wednesday? Raise your hand. More on a Wednesday. How about on a Thursday? That's when I trusted Christ was on a Thursday, oddly enough. How many on a Friday? Great. How many on a Saturday? How many on a Sunday? How many don't remember when you trusted Christ? That's all right. How many of you can't raise your hand because you're still not certain you're in God's forever family? But don't feel left out because at the end of the day, you're going to know how to do that as well. But also, it's interesting. How many of you got uh, came to know Christ as your Savior at church? Let's get that one out of the way. Would you raise your hand sometime in a church building? How many trusted Christ maybe in a home somewhere? Would you raise your hand? How many outside? You came to know the Lord outside. Well, there's probably other places, and those other places would be the ones we're really fascinated to hear. But we don't have time about that now. But what I want to speak about is how that the Lord already knows you in his mind and he would like to have none perish and that in his own sovereign way he is working things out so that you would come to know Christ as your Savior. And if all of you not only agree with that but are pleased that he's done that so you could have eternal life, can you say amen? Amen. Amen that. But however, I want you to know that while we're in this building, there's going to be literally thousands of people driving up and down the poly highway here outside our windows. And there'll be people all over the world that the Lord loves and he wants them to have eternal life as well, but they don't know the Lord. And yet God is so wonderful. He's such a, I call it a surround sound God, you know, technicolor God, that he has many different ways that he brings the message to him. Now, let me make this clear. Many different ways he brings people to him. But there's only one way to heaven, and that's by faith alone in Jesus Christ. I have an old friend now that is in heaven. His name is Curtis Hudson. He used to deliver papers before he was basically called into the ministry and did a great job as an evangelist. And he remembers one time as he was a new Christian, like some of you men are, and he was delivering the, 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 uh, the, the mail as a postman. 
And he went to this lady's house and he began to explain the gospel to her and said, you know, going to heaven is simply by admitting that you're a sinner and you need a savior and your good works can't get you there. So you trust Christ as the Lord who died and rose again. And she said, you know, I want you to know there are many ways to get to heaven, uh, Mr. Hudson. He, she said, you know, it's like going to the post office. You know, there's one road will take you to the post office this way. Another road will take you to the post office that way. Another road will take you to the, road, to the post office this way. There are many roads to heaven. And just like there is many roads to the post office. And Curtis Hudson, in his own friendly way, said, that's true. But when you die, you don't die and go to the post office. So there's only one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. However, there's going to be different ways and different means by which the Lord will call you to that message of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're the ones that are inside the faith, and you might spend some time thinking about how you came to faith in Christ. But I'd like you to think more how that God can use all different situations in your life with people in their lives to bring them the message. And then those of you who may not be in the faith, I want you to listen that the Lord says he's going to try to reach you all different ways with the same message by faith alone. And maybe today is going to be the day that you're going to enter into God's forever family and have your sins forgiven. Well, this passage talks about five guys that were not only called to Christ, but eventually they became apostles. They became those 12 apostles. There's five of those guys that are there. Now, in the context, you're going to really read the names of four, but there's a fifth one that's implied. His name is John. Now, the reason you don't see his name, John, in this passage is because he's the one who wrote this bit of material here. And at the same time, he's so humble, he didn't put his name in there. But he did identify himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned on Jesus' bosom, etc. Now, you will see the same name, John, but not the same guy, John. There's one John called John the Baptist. I'll talk about him in a moment. And the other is John the Beloved. That's one of the disciples. I'll say very little about John the Beloved except how he came into faith here at the beginning. But let's start with our story as I read through this passage. So I'm going to ask you to either follow along in your notes or if you want to have your own Bible, I'm going to be using this version here so it'll say nearly what yours says as well. But follow along silently as I read it to you. It's a long passage, so kind of concentrate on it. And then I'm going to tell you the major part of the scripture we're going to cover for today in the time that we have. So we're looking at John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, again, the next day. John, and that would be John the Baptist now, not the one who wrote this, stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. In a sense, they walked away from John, and they went after Jesus. Then John turned, excuse me, then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, Who do you seek? In this case, what do you seek? Something deeper than just a person. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? Kind of a different response to a question here with a question. And he said to them, come and see. Well, they came and saw where he was saying, and they remained with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour of the day, so a little bit later in the day. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. Circle that because that's one of the guys now. All right, one of them was Andrew. The other one implied was John, who's now writing this story. So was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So it identifies who Andrew was. He first found his own brother, meaning Andrew first found his own brother. So in, in a moment right now, you might want to think you as Andrew, and now you go find your brother, and let's say his name was Simon. And he said to him, hey, Simon, we found the Messiah, which has translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now, what we're going to read at this point 
is something I'm going to get into in more depth, and I'll read that in a moment. But I want to kind of bring you back to where we were last week for those of you that couldn't be with us. We're talking about come and follow. So let me just kind of rattle through this here, and you have some of the notes from last week in a very uh, shortened version of it. John the Baptist was well-known, preaching a message, and as he was preaching a message, people were then believing that message and following John the Baptist. Yet he was a very humble man, and he wanted people to really know more about Jesus because his message was about Jesus. That's why two times in one passage, he kept telling people, Behold the Lamb of God, pointing them to Jesus Christ. But in so doing, he had disciples following him. And that's when we had two guys, John and Andrew, that showed up on the scene. And because of those two people that he showed up on the scene, Disciples of John, he looked at them again and he saw Jesus off in the distance and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So one way that God uses to get the message, that evangelistic message out to other people is through what we might call a preacher's call. That would be someone who is now preaching, just sharing with others. This is what you need to do. Some of you, how many of you trusted Christ in a service as a direct result of someone preaching or teaching the word of God in a church? Would you raise your hand? All right, you were just like that. Like John and Andrew, you heard the message, behold, and then you trusted Christ. But there are some barriers with that. The barrier could be this, as I look in the scripture, and I'm kind of thinking this, what the barrier might be. It could have been what we might call tradition, or maybe a little bit of the background that was going on, because here's what's happening. Andrew and John were following John the Baptist. They knew his voice, they knew his nuances, they knew his style, they knew his message, they kind of followed him around. They're kind of like in the groove with John. But now Jesus shows up and John now points them to Jesus. And what they had to do is change from that tradition and go to, in a sense, to a new tradition, a new direction that they needed to go in. And so they had to overcome some of those boundaries. Now, again, as I look at these guys, John and Andrew, and I don't have time to unpack this, but as you find Andrew all through the Gospels, you're going to find him always mentioned around other people and bringing people to Jesus Christ. John, whose name is not mentioned here, but is also with him, John wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, wrote Revelation, and all of them are dealing with taking people and bringing them to Jesus, and then taking Jesus and his truth and bringing them to people. So watch, here's where I'm going. Andrew and John, I believe, are highly relational. And so they had perhaps a personality style that would be very sanguine. They had no trouble meeting people. When they met people, they knew what to do with people. They weren't afraid to be around people. So they're very, very sanguine type people. So that tells me that God is going to draw people that are the outgoing type and he'll use them in all different ways. So the style is going to be preacher evangelism. The barrier is going to be often the issue of traditions and it also could be perhaps a style of outgoingness, a sanguine. We will call them people people. You know, they like to be around people. Well, the next person on the scene, remember Andrew, what does he do? He hears this message. He follows Christ. He connects to the Lord. He is where the Lord is. And he says, I got to bring my brother. So he goes after a guy by the name of Peter, which is his brother. I don't have time to unpack that a whole bunch. But here's what I do see. I see him going after his brother. He says, Peter, we have found this guy. And immediately you're going to see where Peter, he takes Peter to Jesus. That style of evangelism is called personal evangelism. I hear a message. And now what I'm going to do is take that message to someone else, and then I'm going to take that person to hear the message. Now, that would be maybe some of you that will go nose to nose, toes to toes, eyeball to eyeball with someone, and perhaps bring them to Jesus Christ. I'm, an, I'm a result of what you might call personal evangelism. Carol invited me to a meeting, 
At that meeting, someone was preaching the gospel, salvation by faith alone, but it wasn't until after the meeting that Carol then went through that message with me, quizzing me to make sure I, I integrated my thinking into that message, owned it, and then trusted Christ as my Savior. So she would be like that, and maybe in a certain way I'm a little bit like Peter, because there is somewhat of an obstacle, and that would be the obstacle of pride. Now, why would there be pride? Well, let's talk about Andrew. First of all, Andrew, I think, is probably the quieter, maybe younger brother than Peter. Probably Andrew felt like he always walked in the shadow of his brother Peter. Peter owned the business. He always stayed at Peter's. He, he often stayed at Peter's house. Peter is always mentioned first in the list of apostles. So Peter was always the guy out in front, the dominant type of personality. And then I think Peter had to overcome some pride too because Peter probably would like to find truth out for himself. You know, it's all about him knowing this stuff. But his younger little kid brother, the one that was in the shadow, was the one who knew something more or first than Peter. And so now he had to break down his pride and follow Andrew over to then meet Jesus Christ. Now, in your own time, you might want to look up Psalm 10, chapter 10, verse 4, because it talks about pride there. It talks about that pride can keep you from knowing the Lord. I remember one time I had a group of people about this size and I was speaking to them on the gospel and I said, you know, probably the one thing that's going to keep you from trusting Christ is going to be your pride. Now, I didn't unpack the pride issue and about what they'd have pride, but I did speak to the word pride and I gave them that verse. Later on, we gave the gospel. No one raised their hand and I thought, oh, it's a failure of a meeting. No one seemed to trust Christ. As we were packing up to go home, there was a man that sat over in this part of the room he walked up and he said, when you gave me that verse about pride would keep me from knowing the Lord. That was me. All these years I had so much pride, but I didn't realize that I had to humble myself and see myself as a sinner. I had to realize that Jesus Christ is the only God and whatever everybody else knew maybe ahead of me didn't matter. I wanted to know this for myself and trusted Christ as Savior. So maybe the barrier was pride. The evangelistic style was evangelism, personal evangelism. But that would tell me something else about Peter. Peter's name was Rock. We know a lot about that. We know that he was often the first to speak, the first to get out of the boat. He was the strong person. We would call him Rocky the Choleric. We might talk a little bit about him being strong. He would be someone who would be out there that would not have a problem reaching out to other people, more purpose-driven. He knew what he wanted to do. And God can use people like that. And I might say this to you. Maybe you're on the other side of faith. And now you're looking at your life and you're saying, I feel very empty. I've done all this. I've built all this. I've had all of this. Some of it has crumbled in my life. Some of it hasn't. But there is something missing. I want you to know that when you trust Christ as your Savior, that doesn't mean you have to give up who you are. It does mean that there are things in your life after you become a Christian you're going to want to realign and get rid of and add to and all that kind of stuff, but not to become a Christian. But God can use you in your personality style. Now listen carefully. Whatever personality you are, that's, you don't have a good personality or a bad personality. It's whatever you do with your personality that makes it good or bad. If you are sweet and kind as a, as a man at age 17, you'd probably be a sweet and kind guy at 77. If you're mean and nasty and, and angry people when you're 17, you probably won't live to be 77. You know? But the point still being is that God will take your personality as you surrender to Him, keeping that personality, but now not using it as a weapon to do war with. Use it as a tool to help reach others for Christ with. Well, that's that material, and I hope that helps you to see that God is starting to use different personalities, those outgoing people that are people people, those outgoing people that are out there very dominant in their personalities, but God can still use them as long as they come to faith alone in Christ. Well... What are the other two groups of people? Well, now I want to get into this passage. So I'm going to read it to you, and then we're going to come back and pick it apart until I run out of time. 
All right. Pick it up at verse 43, and this is what you read. It says, the following day. So Jesus apparently did verses 35 through 42 on one day. Then it says, the following day, which in the context of the fourth day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said this to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit and guile. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then the Lord said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending up to heaven, descending down from heaven upon me, the son of man. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. But I'm going to try to show you how the different personality styles, different obstacles, different evangelism techniques still work when God was calling people to himself. So are you ready? So the next person would be obviously Philip. You can see that in your notes and you can see it in the verse. But let's look at it together. Verse 43. It says, The following day Jesus went up to go to Galilee and he found Philip. Would you take your pen right now and underline the phrase, he found this is so interesting because in this context, there was nobody who brought Philip to the Lord. Apparently, Philip was just diddly bopping through life. And during that diddly bopping through lifetime, the Lord in his own sovereignty brought himself to Philip. And of course, that's a sovereign work of God. Now, let me explain something here. I trusted Christ because Carol led me to Christ. So in a sense, the Lord says that if we lift him up, he will draw all men to himself. So as we present Christ, he is drawing people to himself. He will use the mouths of people, but it's still Jesus Christ himself that will ultimately save us. Now, some of you got saved when you heard a preacher speak to you. Some of you got saved listening to a preacher on the radio. Some of you got saved perhaps through reading a bit of material that was out there. So man is involved in other people's salvation. So I know it's salvation is always of the Lord. It is and it isn't. Because at the same time, the Lord will use a lot of different people to do it. But it still is of the Lord because apart from a clear, correct, consistent presentation of the gospel of faith alone in Christ... Nothing else will save that person. And so it still all goes back to it was Jesus who died and rose again. It is his message and his spirit that convicts us and brings us to himself. So it is of the Lord, but he also uses others. Maybe if I could use it in this way. You got Philip out there going through life and he meets the Lord. All right. It very well could be something like this. And I've heard a lot of stories about this. So I'm not going to bring up any one explicit one, but sto many stories very similar to this. A man is out there. He's on a business trip. He's really broken, left his family, whatever. And he winds up in some hotel motel in America. And while he's there, 
He's scratching his head and says, why am I here? Where am I going? I want to kill myself. My whole world is crashing. My family's crashing. My business is crashing. My future is crashing. I could even go to jail for some of the things that I've done. And he's just there all by himself. No soul winner knocks on the door. No preacher on the television. And while he's sitting on the edge of the bed, he now takes his jewelry off and he puts it inside the drawer. And when he opens the drawer, what do you think he sees in that drawer, everybody? A Gideon's Bible, all right? And he opens up that Bible there. And when he does, there is no voice from God, but there is a written voice from God. And that would be probably pretty similar than this. And I say pretty similar because it still took you and me giving money to the Gideons to print the Bibles. It took Gideons to take that Bible and go through the wall, in a, the wall of people and issues, to get that Bible into the room. Someone had to put it in the room that was there, and then yet God still had to scramble up that guy's life enough to bring him to the point where he's now saying, my life is ruined, and he opens this up and he sees a Bible and says, Shazam, look what God's done. And so in a sense, there will be times when there will be no real voice of a human being that God will use, but he will still use his voice through the written word here. So supporting the Gideons, giving a Bible to someone, giving a gospel tract to someone is so important as long as it's clear and correct on the gospel. So he wasn't, no man brought him to Christ. He wasn't sought by anybody. Nobody brought him. He was only sought by Christ. And the Lord said to him, follow me. So what do you think might have been the barrier? I don't know, but maybe the barrier could have been something that was deep inside of him, something that was very difficult. Maybe it could be something that no one's there to tell me, and I feel so alone. And God says, when man isn't present, watch this now, watch this. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And I don't know if Philip was seeking, but I know this, that in God's sovereign way, he brought the two of them together where they would hear the gospel. So maybe what would his personality style? I, I think Philip was more of a, of a person of peace. We don't see him with anybody. He came from a town with a couple of the other guys came from, but he didn't have any buddies with him, no friends with him, no family with him, no nothing. He was by himself. And so the Lord said, if there's nobody that's going to bring him the message, Philip still needs to hear the message. So I'm going to walk over there, and I'm going to find him. Now notice he found him. That doesn't mean because the Lord says, gee, where's Philip around? He's got to be here somewhere. Where is he? Duh. The Lord knew where he was, but it kind of shows where it was the Lord who pursued him. And then said to him, follow me. I love that. So maybe he was more of a, a, maybe a passive type person. Maybe he was a peaceful type person. Maybe there was something going on in his life that made it more difficult. Look in verse 44. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I don't have a lot to say about Bethsaida except some of you are reading that. And I thought I'll just do this for you people that like to go a little bit deeper. You can't see this on the radio, so you're just going to have to maybe, if you're driving, pull over for a second. But I want you to hold up, if you will, your left hand. Hold up your left hand. That left hand now is going to represent the Sea of Galilee, okay? And the Sea of Galilee, so I'm going to show you where Bethsaida was in another place called Capernaum. So if you will, hold up your left hand, everyone, and then use your right index finger and follow where I'm going to point. Over here, up on the northeast side, you're going to find what is known as Capernaum. A little bit further over is Bethsaida. Bethsaida actually means fishing village or house of fishermen, which I thought was really cool because Andrew came from there, Peter came from there, Philip came from there. So all these guys must have known each other in some measure, and they all were involved in fishing. Now, later on, we're going to talk about Nazareth. So let's just leave our hand up for a moment so later on I don't have to do this. Now, Nazareth is not in the center of the lake. There's no island. It's nowhere around the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is about 20 miles south 
mm, west of the Galilee area over here. So Nazareth is over here. Now, you say, what's that so important about that? Stay with me and I'll tell you. So that's a little bit of the geography of what it looked like if you had a little atlas in front of you. So that's where he's from. We see what happened to him. But notice what it says in verse 45. You got your Bible there? Philip then apparently follows the Lord. And then it says, Philip found Nathanael. So it's almost like right off the bat, Philip trusts Christ, and the, re- the next thing he wants to do is he wants to go out and reach other people. Now, most of you already heard my testimony, so I don't have to tell you this, except I trusted Christ on Thursday night. It was late on Thursday night. I drove home. When I got home, my dad was there, and he opened up the door when I came in about 1.30 in the morning after the meeting, and I was like Philip telling my dad how to go to heaven, except I didn't do it the way Philip did. I did it the way I did it, which was all wrong. I said to my dad, Dad, guess what? Tonight I found out that I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. That ruined it for years, literally. I had to, that's another story and that might fit in later on in John. But for right now, there is a way to do that. And notice what he did. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. Then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, blah, blah, blah. So he went after Nathanael. Now for those of you that want a little bit more on this, it's really weird and I, I have to do more study on this, but here's what I found out. John refers to this guy as Nathaniel. That's what we're going to call his given name. The given name means God gives, Nathaniel, God gives. Nowhere in John's gospel does he use his birth name, which is Bartholomew, or son of Ptolemy. And so that's what's so interesting. He said, Nathaniel, 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 never used Bartholomew. Yet when you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you never read Nathaniel in there. You always read Bartholomew in there. So some of you do some study and come back and tell me what it is, and maybe later on I'll put it in a future message. But here's what I do want you to know that I think is interesting. When you see the list of the apostles, it's all, it always goes Philip in the list, mumbity 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 bum Philip, then you see Bartholomew. So Philip and Bartholomew, Philip and Nathaniel kind of hang together in all of this. Let me tell you, I don't have time to preach this. You guys get your concordance out. This is fantastic. Do a study just on the person of Philip in the Bible. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.